This is week number six in the series on Joshua, calling it Stones to Remember. So, have you personally ever experienced God's presence in a way that you would never forget? Or at least, when you're experiencing it, you think to yourself, I never want to forget. Like, for example, for some of you, it might be the moment, wherever you were, where your eyes were finally opened to who you are and who Jesus is and the need that you had to trust him as Savior. That is a memorable and emotional experience. Maybe perhaps you experience God's presence through a, I don't know how else, maybe like a, a just-in-time provision of money or, or food or a friend or maybe good news. For some of us, we've experienced the unmistakable presence of God in moments of tremendous grief or earthly crisis or catastrophe. As followers of Jesus, those moments when God seems to manifest his presence in unforgettable ways are precious and we want to do things to remember them by. Moments that we as followers of Jesus know that we feel this idea that, that God is removing any doubt that he is real. No matter what life brings, you're certain you're going to remember those moments. But sadly, over time, inevitably, we do forget, don't we? We lose faith. We get discouraged. We isolate, right? We wander and we lose our way. And it's not because, when that happens, it's not because God's presence has changed or it's left. We know that God's presence never really changes. The only thing that changes is our ability to be aware of his unchanging presence. And see, that's why, during those times, that's why remembering what God has done for his people, even for you personally, is so crucial and so important in your walk with Jesus. Once again this week, we're looking at a larger passage than normal. We're looking at all of Joshua chapter 4, so I'm going to read it, with, I'm going to read it aloud as we follow along on the screen. Let's look at this. <clears throat> When the nation finished passing over the Jordan, remember we preached on that last week, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men, one from each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones out of the Jordan from the place the priest's feet stood firmly. Bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. In other words, to where you're going to be camping or living. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from each tribe. Joshua said to them, pass before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Remember, it's still dry at this point. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, one for each tribe. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the future, what do these stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. So these stones shall be to Israel a memorial forever. The people did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the Jordan, one for each tribe, just as the Lord told Joshua. They carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. So that's two monuments of 12 stones. In the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. 
that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, these people passed over in haste when all the people had passed over the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben, Gad, and one half of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. <clears throat> About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they did of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. When the priests came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of their feet touched dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. The 12 stones they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the people, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as he did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So all the peoples of the earth may know. So all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. <clears throat> Historically speaking, there's important things to understand if you're going to really interpret this passage correctly. The first one I want you to see are these stone monuments that God commands them to build. So the entire nation has just witnessed and received, right, this undeniable, miraculous manifestation of God's presence. And crossing the Jordan was a pivotal, pivotal moment for that future generation. They would need to remember this and celebrate it together. So God directs one man from each tribe to go back to the dry riverbed where the priests had been standing, pick up a large stone, and these stones, you understand, they're, they're big enough they had to be carried out on their shoulders. These aren't pebbles. These won't be easily moved or washed away. The 12 stones are arranged together in a way that, is, that becomes a clearly visible monument to anyone who might walk by that part of the river. And they'll be that way for generations. But you know, it's a very simple monument. It's not grandiose. It's not some crystal cathedral. It's not a bell tower. It's not a statue or expensive architectural wonder. It's not like monuments the world builds for themselves at all when we want to be remembered. It's not like the pyramids or gaudy temples. Then they are commanded, this is important, they are commanded to find 12 more stones and stack those in the middle of the riverbed where the priests were standing. This too would become a very visible sign for all those passing by because it would be a structure that would be obstructing flowing water in the river. It would create, we know this in Florida with our pools, a water feature, is that what they call it? <laughs> no matter the season, the water would have to go up, over, or around this monument of stones. It's one monument for the spot where God parted the water and the other for where people of God would celebrate his faithfulness. Two monuments. 
One creates that water feature. The other is a clearly man-made rock monument on the land. They're two simple yet very durable monuments, but they weren't built for that generation. They'd never forget that day. They were for future generations of children and grandchildren and new followers of Jehovah to see and then ask the elders, what do these stand for? That's the history of this passage. Let's look at the spiritual section when we answer the question, what about God? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? I'm going to explain to you how God uses stones. And there's a lot here. You see, God, just like if he were dealing with us, God knew that left on their own, his people would tend to only remember what God has done for them lately. See, God knows how easily we forget his faithfulness, doesn't he? Even the big moments, even those that happen in our own lives, we're easily distracted from. For example, one generation earlier, this nation of Israel experienced that first Passover in Egypt. Then they experienced the exodus from Egypt. They crossed over the Red Sea, and, and then there was that pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. Oh, and by the way, the daily manna. I mean, that's a pretty good manifestation of God's presence, don't you think? <laughs> Do you think if we experienced just any one of those things, our faith would be encouraged? We would never forget those, right? I bet left on our own, we would. They forgot. They still found reasons to doubt and gripe and complain to God that he had forgotten them. See, God knows how important it is for his people to remember what he has done for them. He knows that we need monuments. So God gave them those two monuments to do two important things. What were the two things? To remember and to proclaim. Do you see anything similar there? Remember everything I've taught you? Teach it to all nations? Hmm. And so that's one thing. So stones remind, right? The two monuments would remind future generations about precisely what God did for them at the Jordan River. God made it clear. You will construct these so that future generations can be taught about my faithfulness. They need to know that I am the way and the truth and the life, and I will always be with them. Perhaps by design, you know, over the course of decades, families would make these little summer vacation pilgrimages to Gagal and let the children see those monuments and ask, Mom, Dad, Uncle, Neighbor, what are these rocks on the shore and that big pile of rocks in the river? What are they for? Who put them there? Well, let me tell you about the day our God made his presence known to us through his word, his authority, and his provision. Then God told us to build these monuments for you. Yes, he was thinking about you that day, even though you weren't there. He wanted to make sure that you, because you were either so young or not born yet, knows how he feels about you. It's kind of like what Jesus commanded his disciples. Do you remember that? The night before he died and he, and he made a monument and he said, every time you eat this bread and drink this wine, do it in remembrance of me. But see, also stones aren't just about remembering, they're about proclaiming. God wanted every nation, he says in this passage, he wanted every nation on earth to know 
who he is and the great things he has done for his people for salvation. These monuments become a way to proclaim to the nations what God does for those who obey him and follow him. Church, can you see the obvious link here to the Great Commission? These two monuments at the Jordan to remember and proclaim to all the nations everything that he has taught us? But there's another way that God uses stones. Look at this. He uses living stones. This was in Mark. When we did our series on the Gospel of Mark, this was one of my favorite sermons to preach in that. When Jesus said, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build up another not made with human hands. Do you know what the disciples were saying when he said that? Look at these beautiful stones. He says, those stones? Those are nothing. I'll destroy this beautiful stone-made temple and build a new one. So, right? So God uses two monuments built by human hands from 12 stones to memorialize his grace and his love to his people. I also love how God uses the number 12, one for each tribe, making it a monument to the entire nation. Now, do you remember, if you were here during our Revelation series, how the number 12 is used as a metaphor for the entirety of God's people? All of them from every nation, throughout all of redemptive history. These aren't coincidences. This is how the word of God is written. Those stone monuments served their purpose. But eventually, these stone monuments wouldn't last forever. They were never intended to be a permanent monument to God's faithfulness and grace and mercy for his people. They were a temporary one just like the temple. This is the same thing Jesus meant when he said he would destroy the temple in Jerusalem and build a new one in three days. By the way, have you ever noticed the steps here on the stage? Did you know that they are built from actual Jerusalem stone? True story. True story. Pretty cool. Well, yeah, it's cool, but... These earthly stones won't last forever. Heck, they almost didn't make it through our renovation. I'm telling you, I wasn't sure I wanted them. Do we paint them black? No, you can't paint them black. They're Jerusalem stone. Well, send them back to Jerusalem. I don't know. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Look at this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. When he died and was resurrected. But this time he's using stones that will last forever. And where are the stones? Who are the stones? We are. We are living stones that he's built into a monument out of his people. See, the stones Israel used were just dead rocks. But you, we, those who are biblical and generous and mobile and organic, we are being made into a living monument that follows the Lamb wherever He goes. Far superior to any pile of dead stones or rocks organized into a cathedral or a temple or a statue. We are living stones, 
monuments to God's miraculous grace and mercy and power. And we have, just like the other stones, become what? A witness to all nations. Jesus has made us a monument built from living stones, both where he lives and in the raging river that is this world. So that's the theological part. That's cool stuff, right? Let's look at the personal section. What are we supposed to do with this? I want to talk about God's new monuments. This was the sermon preview this week. The greatest monument to God's faithfulness isn't built by men from stone or brick. It's the one Jesus has built. You know, when we, uh, when we forget God's grace and his mercy, you know why? Because we become too distracted and obsessed with this present world. Raging rivers around us have grabbed most, if not all, of our attention. Politics, money, our own personal struggles, or our fear, or our anxiety... Do you forget about God's grace and power and mercy far too often, far too easily? It's easy to do, especially in the comfort of America. We often turn to God as a last resort or a fashionable one. We become self-sufficient. But around the world, there are many followers of Jesus who are completely, fully reliant upon God every day. Yet we wander, and we begin to, as we wander, you know what we do? We disconnect from the monument of living stones God is building right here. And the more disconnected you become from God's monument of living stones, the harder it's going to be for you, the more likely it will be that you will not remember what God has done what God is doing, and you will also, in the process of that, lose hope in what God has promised he will do. That's what happens when you drift away from this monument of living stones called the church. You know what will happen? You'll have a spiritual crisis. Trust me. You will become resentful, angry, bitter, anxious, And the only place you'll be able to turn for any type of temporary relief is somehow pleasing the flesh. All because why? You have neglected the monuments to what God has done among us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ alienated from the people of God and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is what you need to remember. And the best place to remember it is among the monuments that God has built that are designed to remind you. If you want to remain a faithful follower of the Lamb wherever he goes then live among the monuments to what God has done. You're nuts if you think you can remember without the monuments that God is building. You younger among us, and by the way, I'm not talking about just children. I'm talking about those of you who are also young in your faith. 
You need to learn what Jesus has done in all of our lives. Learn about what God has done for His people. His new monuments. We old monuments. Sorry, older. You know what we should do? We should tell the younger, the children and those who are new to the faith, we should tell them the stories. We need to proclaim to them the stories of God's faithfulness to His church for 2,000 years so they will be ready when the rivers rage. You need to tell them about what Jesus has done for you. How He changed your life through the gospel of Jesus. Tell them how when there are raging waters... Temptations and trials and hardships that will test their new faith. These waters will tempt them to stray. Tell them there will be times that they want to wander from the monument that God is building His people. There will be times that they're going to try to be going it alone to make their own path across the Jordan. We are, you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's monuments to these lessons. So they, the younger, won't forget when the rivers of life are raging around them. Do you remember from our story this morning, I was telling you how God told them to build two monuments? One where they camped and one in the river, right? Well, that's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he instructed us to build a second monument of our own. But for this monument, we don't stack dead stones into statues or cathedrals. Our second monument is the fellowship that we have around the Lord's table. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. And when he had given thanks, or Jesus, Paul is quoting Jesus, and when he had given thanks... Jesus broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this what? In remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In what? Remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see that? That's how God uses living stones, remembrance and proclamation. Do you see how this monument is also just like the ones at Gilgal? It is designed for both remembering and proclaiming. It's a monument that points us back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. A monument for us and future generation of grace lifers to always remember what Jesus has done for you even when the rivers of life are raging. So instead of stacking rocks one time, the Lord's table allows us to participate in building this monument each time we gather. You know, the outside world probably saw the, the, the Jews' rocks as silly. Well, that's not very impressive, a pile of stones. Perhaps the outside world even saw those monuments and resented them a little bit. Who do you guys think you are building monuments in our land? 
But you know what? Those rocks were precious to God's people. You know, the world, what we're about to do this morning, the world sees this monument of the Lord's table the same way, does it not? They see the eating of the bread and the drinking of the juice as really kind of a silly thing to do. What? What? In fact, for some, it's more than just silly. They will mock this table. They resent what it stands for. They resent who you follow. So why do we eat this tasteless wafer? Drink what ends up not even being a sip of grape juice. What's the point? Well, I'll tell you, it may seem stupid to them. But each time we gather around this monument, it is precious to us. Because this has become our second monument. And we build it each time we, God's first monument, made of living stones, gather together around it. You guys, as you came in, you were able to get some of those. I'm going to give you a second because apparently it's like opening a safe. So you can guys just start opening that. So as we gather this morning, we're building a monument for remembrance and proclamation. That's what our Jesus said. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, you know what we're doing? This isn't some religious rite. This isn't something you do so that you can feel like you're doing something. This is a remembrance and a proclamation for the world to see of what Jesus did for us at the cross. When somebody asks, why do you do this Lord's table? Well, let me tell you why. 
because my life was a raging river of sin. My life was a raging sea of discontent and anger and resentment and discouragement and addiction and lying and broken relationships. But the Lord Jesus through the cross, through his blood and through his body, made a way. And you too can experience that same way through the gospel of Jesus. That's why we do this in remembrance and proclamation. Jesus, we thank you that you gave us something that will help us never forget. We also confess to you that we are forgetful people. You do amazing things for us every day, and we forget them almost every day. Well, Lord, we're so grateful that you are building a new monument out of living stones that you have given life. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, you've made us alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we celebrate together, as we fellowship together, Lord, when the world asks, why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Why do you do the Lord's table? Why are you different than you used to be? Help us to remember and proclaim the power of the gospel. We are not ashamed of it because it is the power of transformation and salvation. Thank you for making us monuments. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this monument. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Life, we love you. Have a great week.